theyeshiva.net. Here this morning. But a style nonetheless. There is a special medrash that's called Medrash Plia. Medrashe Plia mean Medrashim, oral interpretations of Chumash or Tanakh that seem very strange, incomprehensible, enigmatic. The opening of Parshas Lech Lecha has such a medrash plea. And it's your first source sheet, it's your first source in the source sheet, medrash plea in the beginning of Lech Lecha. Imri no achoisi ot. The Torah in the opening of Lech Lecha tells the story that Avram, Avinu, and Sarah come up to Eretz Yisrael and soon there is a major famine there is a hunger, and they are forced to descend from the Holy Land to Mitzrayim, to Egypt, in order to find food. Of course, on the way to Mitzrayim, as they approach the country, Avram turns to Sarah and he says, We know the Egyptians. I know that you're a beautiful woman, and I'm frightened. What am I frightened of? When they discover that I am your husband and you are my wife, they will murder me so that they can abduct you and enjoy you. Please, tell them that you are my sister, you're not my wife. I will benefit, I will survive, I will live, because they don't have to kill me in order to take you, because I am not your husband, I am your brother. On the contrary, they'll want to impress me and reward me and glorify me, so I should be able to give them my sister. We all know the end of the story. That's exactly what happens. Avram claims that she's his sister, not his wife. They abduct Sarah and they bring her to Pare. They feel Pare would enjoy this extraordinary woman. Hashem plagues Pare and his family and he discovers something is truly amiss. He lets her go. He rewards her. He compensates Avram and her for the agony and sends them off as a wealthy couple. That's the story. Comes the Medrash and says on the words, Imri na please tell them you're my sister. Mikan, from here you learn, Sheshoichatin lechoyla b'Shabbos. They allow to slaughter on Shabbos an animal for a sick person. From here you learn it. Now, this is what you call a Medrash plea. What is the connection between Sarah telling them that she is his sister? to slaughtering an animal on Shabbos. Shechita, slaughtering, is one of the labors that are forbidden on Shabbos. It's one of the 39 of his malachas, prototypes of work that are forbidden on Shabbos. When there's a chayla, when there's a sick person, if you need it to save his life, even if it's a doubt, even if it's very doubtful, nonetheless, you're allowed to do it. You're allowed to desecrate Shabbos to save a life, as you're allowed to desecrate almost all mitzvahs in the Torah or sins in the Torah to save a life. 
But the Medrash says, Mikam What is the connection? The way people always understood it was, the connection is as follows. We have a principle, You don't rely on a miracle. Avram Avinu could have told himself, why do I have to lie about my wife? Why does she have to lie about her husband? Why can't we speak the truth if they ask us? Hashem will help us. He doesn't say that. He says, We have to manipulate the situation in order to save my life. In other words, you don't rely on a miracle. So therefore, you're allowed to lie. So therefore, you're allowed to desecrate Shabbos in order to save a chayla. Obviously, however, it's very difficult because then why does the Medrash, from all examples possible, say you're allowed to slaughter food from an animal for a sick person on Shabbos? The Medrash could have said, from here you learn, ain't you don't rely on a miracle. So there's a Ksav Seifer. The Ksav Seifer, who succeeded his father, his father was the Ksav Seifer. This is the Ksav Seifer as the Rav of Preshburg, today uh, Bratislava, then it was Preshburg, part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Ksav Seifer says as follows, your second source. Shamati, I heard, the Isim Medrash Pliya Mekansha Shechten Lechela B'Shabbos. Vuhu Tamua. This is a very strange Medrash. Venire Loimar, or Venire Li, this is what I think. The Gemara learns out in Masechta Yuma many sources that you're allowed to desecrate Shabbos to save a life. The main sources, the famous source, it says, the mitzvahs were given for you to live in them, not to die with them. Mitzvahs were not given for people to die through the mitzvahs. Mitzvahs were given for people to live through the mitzvahs. And therefore, and therefore, if, no problem. And therefore, if, as a result of doing the mitzvah, the person is going to die, then the mitzvah loses its purpose. Then the mitzvah does not apply. If keeping Shabbos is going to cause death, Khalila, the Torah says, you must live through mitzvahs, not cause mitzvahs to kill you. If a mitzvah is causing the death of somebody, the killing of somebody, the passing of somebody to die early, then it's a mitzvah doesn't apply. Says the Ksav Seifer, this teaches the person himself. I am allowed to desecrate Shabbos to save my life. We still have to learn that another person is allowed to desecrate Shabbos to save another Jew. So the Ksav Seifer says, this is what the Medrash means. Avram tells Sarah, tell them all that you're my sister. Why? Because if you tell them you're my wife, they're going to kill me and leave you alive. And if they kill him, then she's actually a single woman. She's not married. <laughs> she's not a nation sister. She's not married to anybody. Now that she says she's his sister, they won't kill Avram. So she remains his wife. So actually she is a married woman and they're not allowed to be together with Sarah because she's already married to Avram. Nonetheless, Avram Avinu says, tell them you're my sister. 
even as a, even though as a result of that you remain a married woman, but this will save me from death, so you're violating a prohibition in order to save me from death. And this, Avram told her from here, we learn out that the Medrash, not just that a person doesn't rely on a miracle, and not even that a person could violate an, an Isur in order to save his life, but I can do it for you. This is what the Ksav Seifer explains. However, the Ksav Seifer's interpretation is interesting, but we're still left with a question, because if that's the case, why does the Medrash speak about slaughtering for an a sick person for Shabbos? The same thing could be writing, cooking, lighting a fire, carrying, erasing, building, demolishing, any other malacha of Shabbos. Why is it shaychatin b'Shabbos l'chayla? Shchit is one of the malachas. You could cook, you could put on a light, you could put on a fire, you could do everything for a chayla on Shabbos. This point is just that you're allowed to do an Isr in order to save somebody's life. I am allowed to do an Isr in order to save your life. Fine. Why does the Medrash say, Mikan, Sheshoychatin l'chayla b'Shabbos? Why dafke shchita and dafke achayla? This is the case that the Medrash brings in order to bring the point out. So it seems that the Medrash plea perhaps is intimating yet another message. But what is it? And why this example? I came across once very fascinating letter that the Lubavitcher Rebbe wrote to a Jew in 1947. The letter is from the second day of Kislev Tovshin Zion, written to a man named Reb Yitzchak Partovich. It's published in the volumes of letters of the Lubavitcher Rebbe called, known as Igris Kodesh in volume 2. And there, this person writes to him, this Medrash Plia, and asks him for Pshat. So here you have the third source, Michtav Beis Kislev Tovshin Zion. This is a quote from the letter. The Medrash al posik imri na chaisiyat mekancha shaykhtan l'chayla b'shapas. He's writing to Rabbi Yitzchak Partovich. Upir shu b'svanim b'pashtus shemezesha avram halach b'tachbulez v'lesamach al b'tchoyne b'ashem levat mekancha gam b'chayla insem chen alanes v'shal bir noisif b'zem. So he saw in Svarim, it says that the connection is obvious. Avram made all these tricks. He didn't just trust Hashem. He didn't rely on a miracle. So we also don't rely on miracles. A sick person, you can't rely on miracles. You have to break Shabbos, break Shabbos. This person wants more explanation. So the Lubavitcher never writes this. You didn't write to me. Where is this Medrash? And where are these commentaries on the Medrash? Because when you see it inside, you become smarter. You become wiser. This explanation that you're giving doesn't, doesn't match, doesn't match up. The Medrash should have said, you don't rely on a miracle. The Zoya says the exact opposite. The only reason Avram would have sent to Egypt, knowing what they might do to his wife, is that he actually did rely on a miracle. Avram Avinu knew that his wife is far spiritually superior to him. That's what Avram knew. The first Jewish husband knew that the first Jewish wife has an angel always in front of her, protecting her, but not him. Omar, he said, he My wife will be protected. She can go to places where I can't go. The Zoya says, how does a husband do this to the wife? Doesn't make sense. This is what he does to his wife. I mean, imagine you go on your 25th anniversary uh, honeymoon. You go to uh, Kabul 
or you go to Baghdad, or you go to Aleppo, and when you come to Aleppo or Kabul, you tell your wife, listen, I'm going to go check into the Hilton Hotel, I'll be on the suite on the 19th floor, and, uh, you know, and, uh, and what happens to you, happens to you. I'm not sure that the marriage will uh, survive that great anniversary. What do you mean, Avram Avinu does this? He says, okay, the main thing is, let's focus on me, let me live, tell them you're my sister, I'm your brother, great. And what about her? So the Zoyar is perturbed by this, very bothered by this. And the Zoyar says, it wasn't so simple, Avram Avinu knew that Sarah is in a different space. He is not Sarah. Sarah, he knew, will not be harmed. He could be harmed. She has an angel with her all the time. He wasn't worried about her. It turns out he was right. It turns out he was right. Sarah was taken to Pari's palace. There was no issue. She was freed soon after. Avram Avinu himself, he was frightened for his life. So he said, make sure you tell them that you are my sister. This doesn't mean he didn't rely on a miracle. He relied absolutely on a miracle. So this whole idea that you learn from this Eitz Hamchen Alanes, the Zoyer absolutely contradicts it. And the Rebbe adds, "Medaber b'zeh b'shem Mishmul parshas vayeder l'arav hakadosh misachetshav." In famous Hasidic work, Shem Mishmul of Reb Shmuel Sachetshaver, Reb Shmuel Bornstein of Sachetshav in Poland, Shem Mishmul, the son of the Avni Nezer, Reb Avram Bornstein, the son-in-law of the Kotzker Rebbe, he discusses this in parshas vayeder. Says the Rebbe, maybe you could say Pshat, and this is actually the Pshat of the Ksav Seifer. Probably didn't see it. From the fact that Avram said to Sarah, you tell them you're my sister in order to save me, you learn that you're allowed to engage in an Isra, do something prohibited, in order to save your friend. It's not just you don't rely on a miracle. It's a halacha, you're allowed to transgress in order to save somebody else. This principle could have been articulated far more clear when the Medrash would say, from here you learn you could desecrate Shabbos for a sick person, slaughtering or anything else. Why does the Medrash say, Shoychatin b'Shabbos l'chayla, Shoychatin l'chayla b'Shabbos. So here he offers his suggestion of Pshat in the Medrash. And in order to appreciate it, quite an Einfall Achap, in order to appreciate it, we have to change the subject completely and learn Aran. The next source is Aran, Rabbeinu Nisim, in Yuma Davdalit. It's not in Yuma Davdalit, it's Diran. In the pages of Diran, it's Davdalit. Diran, Rabbeinu Nisim, brings the following question. Nishal Haraivid Beloshan Hazer, says the Rabbeinu Nisim. The rivet Rabbeinu Avram ben David was asked this question. There is a person who's deathly ill, and the physician says he must eat chicken. Or we need a chicken soup for him. We need to give him the broth of a chicken soup. Chicken soup, we know, heals every illness in the world. It's been that way for thousands of years. You're sick, just eat some chicken soup. And even in America, they accepted that chicken soup for the soul is the way to go. So this comes from the Ram, <laughs> that the doctor said, we have to get this guy a chicken. There's no chicken, so we have to slaughter a chicken. Slaughtering a chicken on Shabbos is, of course, naturally forbidden, because shchit is forbidden. <laughs> so they asked the Ravid, instead of getting a shaykh to slaughter the chicken, it's going to be a kosher chicken, why don't we just ask a non to kill the chicken? That's what Nechirim, just kill the chicken. 
which of course would make it a non-kosher chicken, it would be called an avela. Because even a kosher animal or chicken that's slaughtered in a non-kosher way or killed in a non-kosher way is called an avela, even though it's technically a kosher animal. Why do we gain from this? question. To eat something non-kosher is not punishable by death penalty. Somebody who eats chazer, somebody eats pork, somebody eats horse meat, somebody who eats tray for chicken, somebody eats tray for steak, it's a laugh. You're not allowed to eat an avela. You're not allowed to eat a non-kosher animal. If a person does it willingly with witnesses, with warnings, with all the issues, there could be lashes. But there's no death penalty ever. For eating non-kosher, it's a lot. It's a prohibition in the time. For shechita on Shabbos, the time of the Beis HaMikdash, you would have to bring, if it was a mistake, you have to bring a carbon chatas. It's an Isser Mrs. Besden. There's a death penalty. Theoretically, there's possible a death penalty. So now you have a sick person. He needs chicken soup. So you could do two things. You could bring in the shaykhat and say, slaughter the chicken. Which under natural circumstances, if it wasn't pikuach nefesh, it's an isr skila, it's a death penalty prohibition in Torah. Or have anybody, have a guy just kill the chicken, then it becomes unavela, give that to the sick person, and then what happens? Hitake, he's not shechting it, so it's not a kosher animal. Then it would be great, he's killing it, but it's just an isr love. This is what they ask the raivet. Should we do that? So the Ram says, nearly. Let me tell you what I think. This is a ridiculous suggestion. Why? The Lagabe Choyla ain't Isra Nevela Kalme Isra Shabbos. For a sick person eating a Nevela, eating a non kosher chicken, it's a kosher chicken, a chicken that was shechted, that was killed in a non kosher way called a Nevela, is not more lenient than violating Shabbos. Why not? The Nehi, the Nevela Isra Lava Shabbos is a skilla. Ike Chumra Harina bin Nevela. What is the Ram saying? When a person shechts an animal on Shabbos, how many Averis did they do? How many? One. You slaughter the animal, you will a Shabbos, but that's it. When a Jew eats an Avela, when a Jew eats a chicken that's not kosher, or an animal that's not kosher, how many sins do you transgress? Every kazayis, every olive volume that you eat is another love. It's another achila. Every eating is another love. So true. Here you're dealing with an isur that's an isur skila. Here you're dealing with an isur which is only an isur love. But the Ran says every kazayis of chicken that this man is going to eat is going to be another love. B'meila. So the Ran introduces an idea. Many lenient prohibitions outweigh one stringent prohibition. It's true that slaughtering is an Isra Skila, but that's only a one-time Isra Skila. Here you do a lav again and again and again and again and maybe again. That is equivalent or perhaps even more stringent than one Isra Skila. And this is, interestingly, there is one of the great... Uh, Acharonim was Rabbi Yosef Engel. Rabbi Yosef Engel. Is that Rabbi Yosef Engel is the author of Lekach Toiv and many other Svarim. He passed away in the early 1920s. Rav of Bendin. He was one of the great Goinim of the generation. Rabbi Yosef Engel in Lekach Toiv asks from a Torah perspective, does quality outweigh quantity? 
And does a lot of quantity become more significant than a little quality? In his words, Ribui hakamos Does a lot of quantity outweigh a little quality? And he brings from many places in Shas and Paskim proofs to one or the other. An interesting example would be a Gemara Masech Tebrachis Tavchavches, a famous argument between Gamliel and Elizabeth ben Azariah how to run a yeshiva. Rem Gamliel had a rule. We still argue about it. You remember a student whose inside is not like his outside? We don't let him in. So the Bismedrish was a very small Bismedrish. Because if the inside and the outside didn't match, you sent him out of Bismedrish. Now the question is who is the expert to figure out? Bismedrish is a separate shaila. You had to have a great psychiatrist or psychologist standing by the door and saying he's toichi kebana, he's not toichi kebana. And that person himself had to be toichi kebana. Okay. Reb Gamliel was dethroned from being the Nasi of the Sanhedrin, the leader of the Jewish Supreme Court because he insulted Rabbi Yeshua. And who was put in place instead of Reb Gamliel? Reb Eleazar ben Azariah. Amr Reb Eleazar ben Azariah. He was only 18 years old, but he was put in place. What's the first thing he did? He got rid of the guard by the door and he said, whoever wants to come in, come in. The Gemara says, That day many new cheers came into the base Medrash. One opinion is 400, one opinion is 800. Imagine, in one day the base Medrash grew by 800 students because they let everybody come in. What was the Machlaikas? What was the Machlaikas? One of the explanations is, what is more important? Does Kamos win over Echus? Or does Echus win over Kamos? You can have lots and lots of students. The quality may not be la creme de la creme. But ultimately that must triumph. Rabbi Gamliel's opinion was, no. I would rather be smedish with a few people. <laughs> it should be of top quality. So here we see the Shittas Haran. The Ran says, Ribui hakamos, So therefore, don't call in a non Jew and tell him to kill the chicken and then you'll give the Jew a novella. Rather, get a shaykhit, let him shech the chicken, and you'll give him a kosher chicken. It's interestingly, it's interesting, this is the Psak and Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch, Erechayim, Simen, Shin Chav Ches. In the laws of a sick person, how you treat a sick person on Shabbos. The Psak and Shulchan Aruch is. You shecht the chicken or you shecht the kosher animal rather than feeding a novella. This is the psak. The reason, the ramgay. There are another two reasons. If you look at your next source, the Beis Yosef quotes the ram, quotes the ram, okay? But then the Shulchan Aruch Harav, Arachayim Hilcheshab Asim and Shinchaches, he summarizes all the views of the Rishon. Why should you shecht? Don't shecht. Let somebody kill the animal and then just give him a novella. Much better. The Shulchan Aruch Harav of the Balatanya brings three reasons. One is the view of the Ravid. The second is the view of the Ram and the Beis Yosef that we just saw. And the third is the view of the Rosh. The first is Hashabbos nitcha litcha esquire ba'avaru b'bishu. You were ready anyway, overriding Shabbos. You have to cook. You're giving him a raw chicken. You have to cook. To cook, you have to light a fire. So you're lighting a fire. You're cooking. That's what the rabbit says. Shecht. 
You anyway have an Isser skill. Okay, others question, what does this mean? We have to have another Isser skill. <laughs> you have two Isser skill, you have to have a third Isser skill. At least one do a lav. That's what some ask. So that's why he says, there's another reason. As you know, this is Rabbi Nunis. By a Nevela, every Kazayas is an Isra. And even if you're giving him chicken soup and he's eating less than a Kazayas, Chatsi Shir, we paskin, Machlekes Rebbechen and Rishlokesh, we paskin Chatsi Shir, Osum in You don't get a punishment when you eat tray for half a Kazayas, but it's prohibit, prohibited. So if that's the case, Every little soup that he eats, or chicken, it's an iser min atayra. One iser, another iser, another iser. The chol achila v'achila. In every act of consumption. Mashenkin b'shchita, ene oisel iser echad afal pishulchama. It's one iser. It's stringent, but it's one. Here you may have 20, here you have one. In quality, this one is much more stringent. In quantity, the lenient one is much more. So the Psak and Shulchan Aruch is quant, quantity trumps quality, no pun intended, and you shech the chicken. Maybe it does have a connection. V'oit, a third reason, this is the reason of the rush. Shema yiyah ha'choyle kotz ba'achilas isur v'yifrish v'yistak. The Chayid, this is a Jew. You come to him and you say, here, eat it, eat it, and it's an Avela, he gets disgusted by it. He'll be disgusted by it. And on the contrary, he says, I'm not eating it. And he'll die. That's the problem, the Rosh says. Give him a kosher stickle chicken. He's a Jew. He's sensitive to these things. I, somebody slaughtered it on Shabbos. But that's not to the chicken itself. That's the way it was prepared. The time it was prepared. There's no question, however, if you're going to have to wait for the shechita and you have an avela right away, you don't say, oh, we, we do the shechita because it's only one time. Of course, you right away have to give him the avela. If it's two equivalent choices, go with the shechita, don't go with the avela. Okay, yeah. How about uh, doing a mitzvah? If you give someone a chef, you do a mitzvah by saving other Jews. Versus a guy, he's not going to Okay. Okay, but to me... You don't try to do a mitzvah when it's connected to Chilol Shabbos. Yeah. No, I was connecting it that you have you have you have students who are top top quality, but the quantity is going to be compromised. The halacha was proven wrong. It says they showed him a dream. He had Gamliel was very upset. He says, 800 students I threw out of the Bismedrish. He felt guilty. So he had a dream that night. And the dream, they relaxed. They relaxed him. That it only looks white, it's not so gishmak. And the Gemara says, Velohi. He was really wrong. Just Hashem wanted Rebbe Gamliel shouldn't feel so guilty. So, Ribu Yakamus Machriya Eichos. Quantity, I mean, quantity triumphs over quality. The Lekach Torah brings a very interesting Rashi in Yevamas. You just see the interconnectedness of different aspects of Torah. A Rashi in Yevamas, the Flamet base. Let me just give you an intro. It's a little bit of a complicated issue. We'll do it speed and swiftly. If you have two brothers who marry two sisters. So two brothers marry two sisters. Now, 
Even if one of the brothers dies, the other brother can't marry, uh, can't marry his brother's wife. Why? There's two problems. First of all, you're not allowed to marry your wife's sister. That's an iser. As long as she's alive, you're not allowed to marry your wife's sister. Even if somebody gets divorced from a wife, he's not allowed to marry the sister as long as the other sister is alive. Besides that, you have a second issue here. And that is, it's his brother's wife. It's his sister-in-law. Forget that it's his wife's sister. It's also his brother's wife. Now, of course, there's no issue of Yibum here. In the case of Yibum, you could marry your brother's wife. That's what Yibum is, leverage married. But that doesn't apply here because since it's your wife's sister, there's no halacha of Yibum. So even if his brother dies, if he marries this sister, there's two separate prohibitions. His wife's sister and his brother's wife, even after his brother passed away. Now, these are not death penalty prohibitions. These are lavin. These are prohibitions in the Torah. They're not Mrs. Bez. There's no death penalty on them. It's not considered adultery. The husband passed away. The problem is, it's your husband's wife and it's not Yibum. It used to be your husband's wife. And the second issue is, it's your wife's sister, which is another love. Which is another love. So Rashi says in Yavam Islamic Beis, and Rabbi Yosef Engel proves from this, that Kabos wins over Echos. The Gemara says, Rabbi Yosef holds, that you're liable for two prohibitions. One is she's the wife of your brother. One is she's the sister, the sister of your wife. Doesn't mean that if he made a mistake, he didn't realize that it's a prohibition. He has to bring two karbanas. No. Why? Because ain't yisur chalal There's no two. Ella b'meizid. They're talking about if he does it willingly. Veleyasus rasha gomer. He's considered a rasha gomer. Who cares? Lekavrei ben rishayim gemurim. So you have to bury him near. Complete Rishon. What's that complete Rishon? So now she says, Harasha Nikbar Eitzel Rishon. Harasha you bury near Rishon. But in Rishon themselves, there are categories. The Tanam B'Samhedrin, Shtei Kvadis Hayim Masekanon LeBezdin. Echad Nairagel LeChnachin. Ve'echad Neskalon Nisrafin. Bezdin are two sections in the cemetery for people who were executed because of, because of crimes, because of death penalties. One was for those who were beheaded or strangled. And one was for a much more serious set of crimes, those who were stoned or burnt. So Rashi says that's the Chiddush, that even though here he did two things, he did one thing, and both of them are not connected to the death penalty. So why would you put him in the cemetery with those who are Nisqalin? And Nisrafin, but Rashi says, since he did two things, even though it's only Lavim, so what happens? He goes into the category of the Nisqalin and the Nisrafin. So here we see again the principle that the quantity of something, even if it's because it's numerous times, even though it's much more lenient, nonetheless it puts him into the category of the Rashi Gomer, not only of Nairogin and Nechnokin, but Nisqalin and Nisrafin, because it was two of the same Isur, Eishas Ach, and Achais Ishtar. Okay. Where is this connected to our discussion? But the summation here is, we'll see in a moment, but the summation here is that the Ran taught us, and that's the Halacha, that many Lavim are as equally serious as one stringent Isur Skila, and you actually choose the latter rather than the former. Now, turn over your page. Let's learn a shtikl rosh on Parshish Lech Lecha. Pirush harosh ala Torah Lech Lecha, Rabbeinu Asher. 
And the same commentary you could find in the commentary of the Riva, and similar in the Daskenim of the Baliatoisvis, asks the Rosh, I don't understand the whole story. Avram comes down with Sarah. He says, you're beautiful. They want you. What are they going to do? They're going to kill me in order to be able to take you. Asks the Rosh, why? Why do they have to kill me in order to be able to take you? What's his problem? What's the question? Avram is afraid they're going to murder him in order to be able to abduct and take Sarah because they know that she is his wife. So do me a favor, tell them you're my sister. But one second. Why do they have to murder Avram Avinu in order to take Sarah? If they have the power to kill him, because it's the king, it's the regime, it's the mafia, whatever it is, whoever you have, uh, Islamic Brotherhood in Egypt, I don't know who functioned then in Mitzrayim in Egypt, whoever it was, Al-Sisi or the Al-Sisi of the time, Para, if they have the power to kill him, they probably also have the power just to take Sarah. So that's what the Rosh says. I don't understand. What's the issue? Why does Avram have to say, let me say, I'm your brother and you're my sister, so they won't kill me. If I say the truth, they're going to kill me. Why? Because they want you. So if they want you, take, they'll take you. I won't be able to stop that anyway. What am I going to gain? So the pshat is, the Rosh says, that it's uncomfortable for them to take a married woman. They don't want a married woman. That's why they're going to kill me. If I say, I'm your brother, you're my sister, you're not married, so they don't have to kill me. Asks the Rosh, why are they uncomfortable to take a married woman? Because they're morally sensitive, yeah? So they're not morally sensitive to murder? If you believe that you're not allowed to have a married woman, you're also not allowed to murder somebody. So Avram Avinu says, I'm frightened they're going to kill me. Why? Because they want you. Why do they have to kill me to take you? They don't want an Aishas Ish. Why not? It's adultery. And murder is garnished. So you'll murder somebody in order to kasha your Aishas Ish. That's strange. Strange thinking. What is Avram Avinu thinking? Elamai, you say they don't care about anything. They don't care about murder. They'll murder me. So what do they care about Aishas Ish? They don't care. So they'll take you. So what do you have to lie? Says Derosh. An interesting answer. The craving of promiscuity is every day. Every time this Egyptian tyrant is together with Sarah, every Bia, every time, it's a new Isra of Eshesish. Killing him is once. So Avram thinks how their perverted mind thinks. I could do a sin that is a horrible sin, but it's a one-time chance. Next, I go Sunday, I'll make a confession and all is good. Or if they take her and they don't kill him and they know she's an Eshazish, every single moment, it's a new Yisra. So Avram Avinu said, what are they going to choose? They're going to choose for sure the former. They're going to murder me, so now it's all good. It's all kosher. She's not married. Rather than keeping me alive and not engaging in murder, but every moment, every single day, again and again and again, it's a new history of Eshazish. That's what he's thinking, and that's why he says, I have no choice. Please tell them that you're my sister. This is how the Rush explains the story. 
Nog besser. <laughs> Nog besser. <laughs> if this is the case, comes the Lubavitcher Rebbe and he says, the Medrash Pliya is kafta v'fenach. Imri na'a choysiyat mikan sheshoichatin l'choyla b'shabbos. Avram said, you're my sister, what do you learn from here? That you could shecht, not that you could do malacha, you could shecht for a choyla b'shabbos. Take a look in some. The next source, Michtav Beis Kislev, Uliyashiv is there to answer the question, Yedua hakushya l'chidudi. The question, he says, is really more of a l'chidude. Um, it's more of a, uh, a sharp question because there are other ways to answer. Rabbeinu Avadi Sifarna explains the story. He says, why are they going to kill me? They're going to kill me because they're not going to even think that I'll agree to give sorrow to you. That's the issue. It's not that they're going to kill me because they're sensitive to ish, <laughs> because they're moral figures who are careful in Sheva Mitzvah's B'nai Noyach. Then you have the Russia's question. But the Sephardim just says, they're going to kill me because they want her and they think for sure that I'm not going to let. So they just kill me so they can take her. It's still not completely understood. Why? Because Avram could think to himself one second, if they have a power to kill me, so they can also abduct her even without my permission. So what do they have to kill me for? Unless you say they want to kill me, it's an ish. But this is a question. How does he know they're going to kill him? And be over on shvichis damim in order not to be over on ish. And that's why he says, you're my sister. Why did Avram think so? Where did he get this idea? That they'll do shvichis damim not to do ish. Maybe they won't do shvichis damim and they will do ish. One of the answers is When they kill him, they do one Aver. If Avram is alive, every time there's a Bia, there's an intimate relationship, there's Gilead, adultery. So the Medrash learns out from this, since Avram had to tell Sarah to tell you my sister. Why? Because if you say you're my husband, my wife, they're going to kill me. Why are they going to kill me? Why are they going to kill me? Because they don't want to do a nation's ish. So why are they going to ready to murder? The answer is because murder is a big sin, but it's once. A nation's ish is every single time. So they would rather do the one sin that's once and not have the issue of numerous sins again and again. So Amela, what do we learn from this by Achayla? Asher shoychat in l'chayla b'shabbos. Ve'ein noim nimnachi lenu nevela v'hatamu al derech hanal. Sheve nevela yivad al kol kazayas v'kazayas. Mashekin b'shchite ene yosel le'isur echot. Ram huve b'shulchamar echad marazokin al l'chayla So therefore, mikan from here you learn out sheshoychat in l'chayla b'shabbos. Why you don't say Isr Nevela, give him a Nevela, because there the Isr is going to be happening every single time again and again. Every Kazayis is another lav, but here it's going to happen only once with Shchita, and therefore, Shuz Shchita Mikam Sheshoichatin Lechayla B'Shabbos. Now the obvious question a person asks is, one second, we're learning uh, Pare learned Ran, Pare learned Rabbeinu Nisim, Pare learned Abbas Yosef, 
Pare learned the, the Taz and the Magan Avram. The Magan Avram says, by the way, that even if it's an Isudir Abonon, even if the Nevela is only a Nevela Medir Abonon, you still shouldn't do it. In other words, that's how much it goes. Many Yisurim de Rabbanon could be as serious as an Isur Skiller. That's what the, the Magen Avram writes in Simon Shin Chavches. The Ran learned Magen Avram. The Pari learned Magen Avram. Pari learned Ran. <laughs> We're making this Limud. Mikan Sheshoichet and Lechayla. The Ran learned this Halacha from Pari. Of course, the Pshat is, it's not from Pari. It's from the way Avraham thought about Pari. <laughs> It's what it's Avram's. It's Avram's seer. Avram is explaining to Sarah how he thinks the prop, the behavior of the mitzvah is going to be. In other words, in their minds, what's considered more moral and less moral? It's how Avram is up is touching up what's morality in his mind in their behavior. So from here we learn Mikan Sheshoichatin Lechayla Be Shabbos. Step one. Here, however, there's a big problem. What's the problem? What's the problem? <laughs> Anybody sees a big problem here? L'cha'ida, the two are completely disconnected. Why? By, by Paroi, both Avedis are an Isr Misa. Ashes Ish is an Isr Misa. Adultery is, one is liable by death penalty. And Shlichus Dam and murder is an Isr Misa. Both an Isra Mis. So it makes sense. You have two sins that are equivalent in stringency. Both, one is liable for the death penalty, adultery and murder. So you say, I could do this sin once, and I could do a similar sin on the same level a hundred times or a thousand times, or every day could be a million times. So obviously it makes sense to choose the one time sin rather than the same level of sin that you're going to be doing again and again. By a choyla, that's not the case. By a choyla, the isur shchita is an isur misa, it's an isur skila. The isur nevela is an isur laf. Could you really learn from Avram's cheshbon with Pyro to this situation? This doesn't make sense. You understand what I'm saying? It's not. If I carry the other way around, you could say, by Pyro, of course I understand why he'll murder Avram Avinu. I know why the Egyptians will murder Avram Avinu. Because what's the alternative? The alternative to murdering him is what? Eishasish. Eishasish is the same level of an Isra. It's an Isra Misa. But this I'll be doing once, and this they'll be doing hundreds, thousands, thousands of times. Of course, to Shvichas Here, what's the alternative for Shchita that you're doing once? Not, uh, not, let's say, riding on Shabbos, or cooking on Shabbos, or lighting a fire on Shabbos. Then you would be able to learn it. Do Shchita, don't light a fire. Do shchita, don't cook. Here it's shchita versus feeding him a nevela. A nevela is only an isralav. So you could say, of course you should do the nevela. Ah, you may be doing 30 averis, but it's 30 lavin. How do you know that 30 lavin is as stringent or more serious than one israskila? You can't learn it mikan. You can't learn it from para. Yeah, but you said, you, you said that the rats that even on isu to irabana. No, no, the Ram doesn't say that. No, the Muggin of Ram just says this halach is also ben Rabban. But that could be because of the rush, a Jew gets disgusted with the food. You understand? That's the problem. The Ram tainas because it's a laugh. It's a laugh. Now, if you say it's an even an Rabbanon, that only makes the question stronger. You're going to learn now that you could do many Yisuri de Rabbanon. You would think that you could do many Yisuri de Rabbanon. 
and you're learning out that you can't. Why? From Paroi. You're making the question even stronger. If I can't, you understand? Even if you want to say you learned it from there. The other way around. For sure not. Paroi, I understand why you murder. But you're going to tell me what? Not to do many Yisuridur Abonan and do one Yisur Shechita because of Paroi? There's no limu there. There's no Mikan. The Einfall is Hashem Einfall. But Eina needn't do Emelorai. It's not the same situation. You want to ask something? If not Mikan, if not for this story, what would I say? Don't do Shechita. Better give him an avail. Mikan from this story, I learned better a one time sin than many sins. Really? Where do you learn this from the story? From this story, I learned better a one time Isser Missa than many times Isser Missa. Das Versteich. Das Versteich. Not better one time an Isser Missa than many, many times an Isser Lahav that you can't learn. This the Rebbe asks on himself. On his answer, he says it still doesn't make sense. The Einfall is an Einfall, but Yehipsnit Niravon. So here, he introduces another two ideas, which uh, I'm going to do a little swiftly, but Yilchap, which answers this issue. And this is all, of course, we're studying Avram Avinu's mind. We're studying Avram, remember that. We're not studying Paroi. We're studying Avram Avinu's analysis of Paroi. Thus is Torah. <laughs> to study Paroi's mind, I'm not sure is Torah. To study Avram's analysis of Paroi's mind, that's a Torah shlame already. How he sees, sees Paroi's mind. I'm just giving that Hakdam, uh, it shouldn't seem so strange. No, 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 no. Avram agreed with Paddy that you murder somebody not to be over on Ish. How do you learn that Paddy, that Avram thought that even Arosha Minusha Viparai fart wants to look in the mirror and say, I'm not evil. Even the most evil person likes to justify himself. So, what in his mind, what is considered more tzitkis? What is the lesser of two evils? Let's put it that way. Back to the American elections. What's the lesser of two evils? Okay, let's not make this political. I'm just... Uh, huh? No. Khalilah that he agreed. Okay, but since this was his cheshben, that, that when a person wants to be more of a tzaddik, more of a righteous person, this is what he's going to choose. It's not correct because you should do neither, Aveda. <laughs> you should do neither. But the question is, which is considered the lesser of evils? Shvich is domim or eish So by para, or by the mitzvah, but oiskumen, right? We still learn from the mitzvah. Yeah. yeah, in other words, the way he understands what is more moral, relatively speaking, of course. We don't mean that it's moral, relatively speaking. So go now to your next source. If you can go to your next source, please. There's a Gemara in Sanhedrin. We'll go to this source afterwards. Sanhedrin, Dafnun, Chesam, and Beis. Now, at first glance, these are obviously very sensitive halachas. But as you know, Torah, Torah speaks to real people in the real world. And that's 
the glory and the beauty and the truthfulness and the earnestness of Judaism. Sanhedrin Dafnun Chesamet Base, a quote, Omar Rav, a little intro. When Adam comes to Chava, the Pasuk says, Alkain, Yaziv, Ish, Es Aviv, Es Imoi, Vidovak, A man leaves go of, lets go of father and mother and cleaves, Dvekos, Vidovak, cleaves to his wife and they become one flesh. What's Pshat Vidovak Beishtoy? So here I want to show you, you have a Gemara. At first glance, it seems that it's a technical halacha about intimate issues. In Yonim of Tzniyas. And yet, you'll see a Rashi. And this Rashi, I'm not going to call it a Farvorfen Rashi. It's not a Farvorfen Rashi. It's a Rashi in Sanhedrin Dafnon Ches. Somebody once, uh, there was a Yeshiva Bach who told Rebbe Chatzkol Abramsky. Rebbe Cheskel Abramsky was the author of Chazoin Yecheskel. And he wrote many svarim on Toisefta, on Brysa, which is a unique limud. Most people are not into Toisefta. Chazoin Yecheskel. He was a great god. He passed away in 1976. Reb Abramsky. So, uh, is there a resonance here? So somebody once tells Reb Abramsky, he says, You know what a farvorfin means? There's a cast, there's a toisefta that's cast away. It's farvorfin. So he says, Ne, 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 ne. The toisefta is nish farvorfin, dubis farvorfin. The toisefta is gleich dos nish farvorfin. So this Rashi is nish farvorfin, the Rashi is nish farvorfin. The Rashi is in Sanhedrin. So, so let's see the Gemara and Rashi. Omarov, ben noyach shabal eishas chavedish and loikadar kapot. The halochi is a non Jew has Sheva Mitzvah B'nei Noyach. One of them is Arayas, adultery. The prohibition to be with a woman who's married is not only for Jews, it's also for non-Jews. It's one of the seven Noachide laws. You're not allowed to commit promiscuity in a marriage. It says, His wife, not his friend's wife, comes Rav and says, A non-Jew, a Noachite who was together with his friend's wife, another person's wife was married, Shalaikadark, not in the usual fashion, designed biologically for a relationship. Potter, he's exempt from a death penalty. He's exempt from a penalty. My time? Why? He went to somebody else's wife. The answer is, it says, V'dovak. V'dovak So the prohibition is, if he has dveikas, in somebody else's wife. The Darka. Not if it's unusual. What's the connection? There's no dvekas. Why? Because it's a one-side pleasure. One-side enjoyment. Because when it's not in the usual fashion, she does not have the light. He has the light, but not the other person. There's no dvekas. There can't be dvekas. What does this mean? What's, what is the concept conceptually? Conceptually is two people cannot be connected if one is enjoying it and the other one is miserable. doesn't work. That's why, without elaborating on this subject, because it's a painful subject, even though it's a necessary subject, people who teach married, who teach married couples to have a type of relationship where one person enjoys 
and the other person submits and surrenders, they deprive both of them from the experience of dvekus. The dovak zokrashi, there's no dovak. There can't be, you can't expect somebody to connect to something when they're not feeling the light, when they're not feeling pleasure, when they're not feeling, exper- when there's no experience of simch. There's no dvekus. Came the igle tal. Now we take it to the spiritual level because the physical and the spiritual are one. It sounds like I'm talking about something very physical. And I am, but I'm also talking about something very, very spiritual. And it's actually much more spiritual than physical what we're talking about. For those who understand, of course. For those who don't understand, everything is physical. Spirituality doesn't exist. But for those who understand, everything physical is really spiritual. So the Igle Tal, you know the Igle Tal? The Igle Tal is a Sefer Amalachis Shabbos that was written by the Avni Nezer. It's one of the great Lomdisha books on Shabbos. Yeshiva Shasefer that's still studied very seriously by anybody who learns Hilchas Shabbos seriously. It's a book on the Lamatas Malachas. It was written by the Avni Nezer, Rebbe Avraham Barnstein, who was the Rebbe of Sochachov, wrote Charles Hachubas Avni Nezer, was the son-in-law of the Kotzke Rebbe, was the father of the Shemish Shmuel, as I mentioned earlier, Shmuel Sochachov. In the introduction to Igle Tal, the, the Rebbe Avni Nezer brings this Rashi. To explain how you have to learn. He says some people make a mistake. And they teach their students or their children. Don't enjoy learning. The main thing is just learn, 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 learn. You don't enjoy even better. Don't enjoy learning. Don't have a no. Don't have time. Just learn. And when people don't understand the concept fully. They can't have pleasure. You know sometimes in our yeshiva systems. You have 18 year old boys learning Gemara all day. Rashi, Toysvis, Rosh, Rif, Rambam, Marshom, Aram, Shif, Rashash. Of course, Rashba, Ritva, of course, Rambam, but then of course also the Achroinim. They're learning Kesef Mishnas and Chidulim Shagasaris, they're learning Tzosin and Esivis, and of course Chidush Reb Chaim Alevi and Berch Shmuel and Chidush Reb Shmuel and Chidush Agranat and all the great Svarim. There's only one problem, the boy does not know yet how to learn Mishnayas. It's not so funny. So he's sitting 11 hours a day or 9 hours a day. He's expected to succeed and love it. He can't love it. Because nobody had the honesty to look him or his father or his mother in the eyes and say we have to go back to Olive Base. There's no such a thing somebody doesn't appreciate learning. I still did not meet a person who doesn't appreciate learning. They don't appreciate ignorance. (laughs) When learning is ignorance, of course they don't appreciate it. So the Igle Tal brings this Rashi. He says, with Torah you have to have Dveikus. And Dveikus can't be one-way enjoyment. Dveikus must be two-way integration, synthesis. That's what intimacy is. Intimacy means Vidavak. So Lahalacha, Vidavak Beishtoi, Veloi Beishtoi, Chavere. If there's something that's not Dveikus with Eishtoi, Chavere, it's not an Yisr Shavu Mitzvah There's no death penalty. Because there was no Dveikus. You may have had an enjoyable time. You didn't become one with anybody. By having somebody in a connection with me where they're not enjoying it as much as I'm enjoying it, there's no dvekas, there's no oneness. A little Rashi that could save many relationships. A little Rashi that could save many marriages. How Torah looks at the word dvekas. And this means dvekas with your spouse. It means dvekas with Torah. It means dvekas with yourself. And it means dvekas with Hashem. If there's a one-way enjoyment, there's no dvekas.
This doesn't mean that when a person is not in the mood, they shouldn't learn. A yid came to the Tzemach Tzedek, and he said, Rebbe, I don't have a cheshek. The tzaddik said, Ah, petach. In other words, there's a there's a tremendous quality in life when you transcend your mood because you're, because you're loyal to the relationship. But you're loyal to the relationship. You don't feel it's betraying you. It's repressing you. It's torturing you. So what do we learn from this Rashi? That by a ben noyach, shaloi kedarka, there's tremendous enjoyment. But there's no dveikas. Because the other party is not equally uplifted. Is not equally inspired. Is not equally invigorated. Okay? Granted. Rav doesn't say it's mutter. Rav says potter. Potter. There's no death penalty. There's no harige for a ben noyach to do this. A Jew is not allowed to. Says Mishkeve Isha is even Shalai Kadark. That's the previous Rashi, Sanhedrin Daf Samachvav. This is by a Jew. Umesu Gam Shneem. So Rashi, Sanhedrin. The Limeyute Maisechidudin. What's Gam Shneem? Gam. We exclude from a death penalty. Maisechidudin is uh, an act of stimulation that doesn't involve a relationship. So Rashi, I'm just going to read it. and a person stimulates himself using the other person, but there's no second ano. It's not a chiv misa. A Jew is not allowed to mishkeve is plural, but by a ben potter. Now look at Toysvis on Hedden on Zion. The Gemara says that the concept of Narahamurasa, Sanhedrin Nun Zayin, doesn't apply to Ananjah. What's a Narahamurasa? A young woman who's 12, a young girl who's 12, who's betrothed, willingly, who's betrothed to a Jewish man. They're not married, as we know. They're married, but there's no nisuyin. There were two stages in our marriages, right? A rusin and a suyin. A rusin is betrothal, but they still didn't live together. Nisuyin is they went together to one house and started to play house. So the concept of nara hamurasa by a Jew is very serious. Because once the woman is betrothed, she's married. So therefore, if there's adultery, it's adultery. By a ben noyach, it doesn't apply. Because nothing happened. What was it? He put a ring on the finger and said, Hadiyat Mukodeshes, that's not called marriage by a Ben Nayach. So therefore, Frechtoisvus, the Gemara says in Baba Basra, that ace of that day when Avram died, he did five sins. One of them was, Ba al Ace of had relations with a young woman who was betrothed. Frechtoisvus, there's no tzivui. And Frechtoisvus, Dova Machuru. It's still grotesque. It's still ugly. Esav was a ben noyach. It's still ugly. We had here three sources. Let's now go back. Let's now go back to the letter and see how our last question is answered with one answer and then the last answer. So right before the source of Sanhedrin, you see these three stars. I'm back by the letter. The third paragraph on the page. 
There's no way to learn Shaykhat and Lechayla from Avram over there, both are Misa. If both are Misa, of course Pirate chose Shvichas Domim, it's one time. How do you learn by Achayla to choose Isser Shkita over Isser Nevei? We have the three sources from Sanhedrin, I'll go back to the Michtov, Michtov Rabbeinu. Lubavitcher Rebbe writes back to this person. V'yesh loymar araya. Let me tell you what the proof is. Dehinei we're going back now to Avram's mind, analyzing Pare. Okay? The Hine, Gamba Avram, let's go back to Avram. We're assuming that Avram believed, that's what the Rosh says, the Riva says, that Pare has moral sensibilities. Even a low life, even a despicable behavior, somehow you rationalize stuff. That's how people live. That's in itself a lesson. People are always, I'm not that bad. I'm bad, you ever hear? I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. <laughs> so Pari is, I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. So Melis, Avram says, he doesn't want to do an Aver every day, ten times a night. He wants to do one, shine the macht. I'll burn once and it's over. But she's free, she's not an Eshesish. So one second. Because he doesn't want to get Gilead Ayas. That's a death penalty. Sheva Mitzvah. Vada Yachil Lava Yallah Shalaika Dark. Parika takes Sarah, have relationships in an unusual way. Shagamba Zenana, his enjoyment is fully. How does the Rebbe know? Ain Rashi, Dibur Amas, Chilamayutis, and Hedden, Samach Vava, Mitbez. Rashi says clearly, it's his Anah. On this you're not executed. Sanhedrin and Chesam at Beis. Ben Noyach is parted from Beir Shalai Kedarka. So everything, Pari could be a tzaddik. A tzaddik. Avram is your, is your husband. I don't kill him because I'm a great guy. I take his wife. I see the nation's sister. It's not a problem. I'm a Ben Noyach. Pari is the chalam de Noyach. There's a Gemara in Sanhedrin. Rav is said, the Dava Pishtoi. There's no Tveikas. I'm enjoying, not her. There's no tvekas, it's fine. There's no yisumisa. Why do you have to kill Avram? You can have the cake and eat it too, and then not tell the person you're a tzaddik. So you have to answer. Even when it's unusual, it's disgusting. That's how he explains. It's not technically an Isra Misa, but it's grotesque, it's disgusting. A Russian does this, a moral person doesn't do this. And this is not done even by nations. How do I know? The Medrash Rabbi says, that once they saw what happened by the flood, the nation said, we're not allowing Arayas anymore. We're not allowing promiscuity. They made a fence even by them. That's why. The brothers were so outraged by what happened with Dina. Dina wasn't an Eshesish. But V'chein lo Why? So Chazal tells us, and Rashi says, Ha'umois gadru We're not dealing this way. It was unheard of. It was a crime against humanity, as they like to call it. It was an accepted crime by all the nations. Even something that's mechur. It's disgusting. Even though there's no Eshemissim. So Avram was sure 
that in order not to engage in Bia Shaloi Kedarka, they're going to kill him. Kimutav Lavid al Isr Chomer Pam Achas, Kadeshal Yavid al Isr Kal Harbit Pam. Vulachena Mar Imri Nachay Siyat, Vishapi al Pinon, the Shachatin Lachayla. Paroi wasn't looking at an Isr Shvichas Domen versus an Isr Ashes Ish. Then you wouldn't have a proof. It was Isr Shvichas Domen once versus an Isr Kal. A lenient Isr. A lenient of Shaloi Kedar. It's more lenient. Shaloi Kedar. And still, Avram Avinu says he's going to kill me if he knows I'm her husband. Why? Because it makes sense to him to kill me once rather than do this disgusting thing every single day, many, many, many times, and have this guilt sitting on his chest continuously. Guilt he doesn't want to deal with. Continuous guilt. And that's why Avram is certain he's going to be killed. That's why you have to say, you're my sister. Ah, if that's the case, be calm. Now you have a kalvachaymer. That's fashwunded. Now you have a kalvachaymer. Why? Because ma'adach for something that's mechur. For something that's mechur. And you can also say it's an isur. Nonetheless, he'll want shvichis damim rather than this. So therefore you do shchita, which is an isur misa, rather than many, many lavim, which is kal, agabi, and isur misa, but it's still many, many lavim, and that would trump the isur misa, and that's where you have a proof. So mikan shashayichadil l'chayil v'shabos. But, there's one more explanation. Another fascinating explanation. For this we have to learn two sources, a Mishnah and Babakama, and a Rambam and Hilchus Malachim. And it's interesting here, two people were oila, mechavin l'das echad, adover echad, because the Rakatrave Gon and Safas Paneach says something similar in a different context. I'll soon tell you in a moment. Let's see a Gemara, Babakam, Kofiyadal, and a Mishnah. Not Lulistim as Ksusay, but not like Thieves came and they stole your cloak. And they give you somebody else's cloak. They love your sweater. It's a nice cashmere sweater. It's a $900 sweater you bought on sale in Century 21. They really like it. They steal your sweater, but it's freezing now, but they give you another sweater. Where did they get the other sweater from? You can understand that they didn't buy it. They stole it from somebody else. Are you allowed to wear it? Are you allowed to keep it? You can keep it. Because when a thief comes and steals the sweater, the owner is meyayish, he disappears, he doesn't think he's getting it back, and therefore halachically, it's considered that it was transferred into another domain. Of course, the thieves have to pay it back. <laughs> they have to pay it back. They're criminals. If they're caught, they have to pay back and pay double. But nonetheless, you can wear the sweater because... The owner does not hope to get it back and therefore, so to speak, his ownership is released on a le- from a legal point of view. He deserves the money back. But the sweater you can keep. Why? Because with a listim you don't expect to get your sweater back. We have a problem. When a Jew wants to get divorced, he gives a get, she gets a get, they're both free. We said a non-Jew also is not allowed to have adult, is not, also not allowed to commit adultery. What's called a divorce? What's called a grusha? When do we say by non-Jews we're not married anymore? What has to happen? What has to happen to say they're not married and everybody is free? He goes where he, where he chooses, she goes where she chooses. When is your friend's spouse considered a divorced woman, like by us a divorced woman? When he, when he sends his wife out of the house, or the other way around, or she leaves the house. 
By non-Jewish marriages, you don't need a get. You don't have a guna crisis. You don't have any issues. He leaves. She leaves. He sends her out. She leaves herself. It's over. The marriage is over. The marriage, in other words, is defined by them being together in one space. The moment she leaves, he leaves, it's over. Don't think it's his decision alone. Don't think this is male chauvinistic. He wants to go, go. She wants to go, it's not about him. Whoever wants, it's over. By non-Jews. Halachically. Huh? Okay. No, we're not talking here. We're talking about Din Torah and Shabbat Mitzvah Benaya. In other words, if afterwards she leaves the house and somebody else comes to her, it's not considered anxious issue. She's not an anxious issue anymore. She left the house. Nothing else has to happen. In other words, she chose, I'm not interested in this marriage. I'm out. Personally separate. Based on these two sources, now come back. Come back to our question. And here... I open up for you a Tzafnas Paneich from the Rakhachabu Gaon Rabbeinu Yosef Rosen. He asks a question. It says, Sorrow was taken to Parai, and Hashem plagued Parai with many illnesses to the point that the house was devastated. <coughs> Hashem plagues him. In Parshas Vayeru, there's a similar story. Avimelech takes sorrow. Hashem comes to him in a dream. And what does he say? How dare you? Vihi bu'ulas ba'al. She's married to a Baal. She's a Baula. It means she's married to a husband. How dare you? Asks the Rabbi why in Vayeda is Sarah a Baula's Baal? In Lech Lecha, she's never defined as a Baula's Baal. Hashem plagued Pirate. He never told him she's a Baula's Baal. Avimelech Baula's Baal. Well, people say, what's the difference? She's married here, she's married there. Rabbi says, no, no, no. You can't compare. Why? I'm going to read it to you here. I didn't have a chance. I'll put it into the final source sheet that will be on the yeshiva.net. But I'm going to read it to you now. But it's the words of the Rebbe Chalim. The Rambam says in the Lachim, we just learned, by a non-Jew, a woman could look at her husband and say, I'm not interested in you, and she makes a bar of Shepaturani. She's potter, it's over, fine. V'im came, listen to this. When Sarah told Pilate, I'm his sister, he's not my wife, he's not my husband, what happened? They're not married. He said, They're not married. I want to be his friend, I don't want to be his wife. I'm his sister. There's no issues. There's no marriage. So Paroi is not living with a nation's ish. So why by Avimelech? Avimelech, she also said she's my sister. This happened before Avram Abinu had a bris. Vayeda happened after Avram Abinu had a bris. The Gemara says in Chagigidav Gimel, why do we say Alekei Avram? Shalayat Chilo Legeirin. Avram is the father of all converts. That's what we call a convert. Avraham, Ben, Avram. So Rashi says, well, why is he the first convert? And Rashi, Nitztava ala Milo. He got the, the commandment of circumcision. Chagigit av Gimel. Bemei get kedin So now if Sarah wants the divorce, 
She needs a get. So in Vayegir it says, Be'ulah's Baal. In Lechukha you can't say Be'ulah's Baal. And that's why he says over there, it says, Vayoyimir Elikim. Here it says, Vayinaga Hashem. Elikim kentavim alechem adrin. Here Hashem. He says, Elikim is midas hadin, shen din. Over there was a halacha, Sarah is married. Here it wasn't a halacha, it was b'schus avram. Vayinaga Hashem, not Elikim. It's a classic Tzofos Pameach. He saw Bula's Baal, of course. Here from here, Sarah wasn't married anymore. If this is true, what does it mean? So the Lubavitch Rebbe was mechavin the same word like the Tzofos Pameach. So he says as follows, the last piece of the letter here. The second to the last paragraph on the bottom. Another way to answer. If the Egyptians would have abducted her and he couldn't stop them, they're listed, they're thieves, they're robbers. Avram Avinu knows who he's dealing with. They're murderers, they're kidnappers. So the Gemara in Babakama speaks about they take your cloak, your mayayish. And he says, it's not talking about listing Yisrael. Who will come up for the Shomuzacha, they'll come for the grist, for more food, you'll catch them. You talk about listing more Vikechavim. So Avram Avinu is Yiyush. You could say this was the divorce. Now the record Shabbos says the moment she says, Achoisi, I am a bush. He touches a little different. They separate from each other and he doesn't hope that she's coming back. So it's a real precious. So maybe she's Magurish. So she's not a So what do you have to? Why do they have to kill Avram Avinu? Of course, Pani the Chigrei Salam then again. He knows the Tzofas Paneach. He knows the Yemar Mishnah Mabakama. He knows the Ramah Mithilchas Malach and Pedic Tess. Or at least the Avram Avinu knows the Ramah. Avram Avinu knows the Mishnah Mabakama. So I'm saying, why do they have to kill me? We'll say she's my sister. She'll say she's my sister. That means she doesn't want to be my wife. She's not my wife. They'll take her away and it's precious. It's you. She's taking on my wife. So I don't have to, I don't have to, I won't die. Why do they have to kill me? Is that the pshat? It's still disgusting to take somebody's wife. Even though it's not an anxious ish. When she really didn't choose to get divorced. It's still disgusting. It's still horrible. Even though logically you found your loophole. It's horrible. So Pilate is going to rather kill him than to do something that's disgusting every day, many times. Mikan, you can check for Chayla B'Shabbos. Aye, this is a Misa, this is a Lav. By Pilate, it's the same thing. It's not Misa versus Misa. It wasn't Shlichus Dom versus Eshesish. It was Shlichus Dom either versus B'Yashalai Kedarka or Shlichus Dom versus regular Bia, but not with an Eshesish. But in a way that it's still mechur, I don't know, like Christ said, it's still ugly. He finishes the letters that after Aisi Shleim after writing this, I opened the Torah Shleim. Torah Shleim is the brilliant compilation of Rav Kasher, where he gathered all of the Mamari Chazal of Torah Shabal Peh to to the Pesukim. So I looked at the Torah Shleim and Parshas Lefach on Eiskuf Memhei Shehevi Medrash Anal B'Shei Medrash Pliya Rav Kasher. Quotes this medrash about the chayyim in the name of the medrash pliyah. Upinish kanal al pisvara saran, and I see that the Torah shleimer of Kasher 
says the same word based on the Ran that we can't shoshoyt it in the Chayla B'Shamas. Avalayom ha'dalakushya b'shani b'avram di'isurim shavu b'ashayka b'nevelushit. But there is something to take it a step further. They have a big problem because the comparison is inaccurate. Because over there the issue is shava, mashenkin by an avela and a shchit. This is our derech halach. Now the question is if we should continue. Yes. Huh? Yes. Yes. <laughs> this is supposed to be the first half of the shita. <laughs> okay, so. I, I'm going, to, I'm going to present what I wanted to say at the end on a deeper level, quite briefly and succinctly. It really deserves a, a larger discussion, but uh, because of Kutzer Asman, I'll do this, I'll do it very briefly. After everything said and done, all of this is obviously a halachic discussion. As is quite evident and quite nuanced, a quite nuanced halachic discussion. The bigger question becomes, what is the message of the story? What is the meaning of the story? Let's understand. This is the first story we know about the first Jewish couple. There's no story before this. The only story before this is that Avram and Sarah left Haran and they went to Eretz Yisrael. So we know that they left. We know that they made souls in Haran. We know that they traveled in Eretz Yisrael. The first substantial episode about the first Jewish couple is this. So when somebody asks you, What's the first story you want to know about Jewish marriages? What's a Jewish marriage? So somebody will say, well, let's hear about the first Jewish couple. So then what's the opening story in your greatest book about the first Jewish couple? So the opening story is, there was a hunger. He went down with her to Mitzrayim. And he said, tell them you're my sister. So they can abduct you and I'll survive. And I'll be rewarded and everybody will be happy. No lessons from Uda Mechavah? Huh? Uda Mechavah, no lessons. Uda Mechavah, there's a lot of lessons. I just gave you Vidovak, it wasn't enough. It wasn't a good lesson. A lot more from other men. They weren't Jewish. But I, I would say the first Jewish, the first Jewish couple. But other men have plenty of lessons. Apparently they were a very happy couple. They were separated for 130 years, maybe. That's what the Gemara says in Erevin. Kuflam and Shana, they were separated. A guy once asked his friend, how is Shalom Bayes? He says, it's wonderful. The doctor told us to take a walk three hours a night. Every one of us would take a walk three hours a night. From six o'clock till nine o'clock every night. I do it Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday, and she does it Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and everything is perfect. Okay, fine, so you have that. But uh, we're talking here about the first Jewish couple. What is, is there a deeper meaning? Like, this is the story of Ramavino basically sacrifices his life. The Zoya justifies it, that he trusted her spiritually more than he trusted himself in terms of the protection that she has. What is the message behind the story? Why does the Torah tell it to us? What's the moral of the story? What can we learn from it about our marriages? <coughs> so this whole Torah that we spoke about, also applies on a spiritual level. So we'll do this very briefly. The Balatanya writes, the Alter Rebbe writes in the Kutatayra and other of his story, that there are two types of relationships. There are relationships between siblings and relationships between spouses. Both very close relationships. There's the relationship of a brother to a sister, or sisters or brothers, the relationship between a husband and a wife. They're both deep and profound, sometimes dysfunctional, sometimes functional. 
sometimes glorious and incredibly inspiring, and sometimes wrought with pain and anxiety. But the relationship is a profound relationship, and the potential relationship is very glorious. But they're very different. What is the difference? Says as follows. A sibling relationship is natural. It's innate. It's intrinsic. You don't choose who your sister is. You don't choose your brother. And you can't unchoose your brother. You don't, tell, you don't call up your brother and say, you know what, we're getting divorced. And I'm not your brother anymore. You may sadly choose not to speak to your brother, which is a very sad phenomenon, unless you need it to save your life or to protect yourself from real abuse. But it's obviously a sad phenomenon, even if you have to do it, but usually most people don't have to do it. They do it because of ego or, or insecurity or, or pain or resentment or whatever it is. But nothing will help. I'm still your brother. I'm still your sister. I'm still your sibling, even if we have deep issues. In other words, we don't choose the relationship. I don't choose the relationship. I cannot destroy the relationship. I can destroy the functionality of the relationship, but I can't destroy the essential relationship. We share DNA. We share genetics. We both ran around without, uh, without many garments in our mother's homes as little babies, killing each other, fighting with each other, fighting over the candy and the lollipops and the snacks. We remain siblings. With a spouse, it's not that way. You're not born with your spouse. You choose your spouse. On the contrary, one is not allowed to marry a sibling. Famous whole point of the Maharal. Why wouldn't it make sense for brothers to marry sisters? Obviously, they have a dog. There's other Mishagasim. Same shtick. Dealt with the same parents. They know each other. It should have made sense. But we know it doesn't work that way. It's forbidden. We choose a relationship with somebody who's outside. Somebody who is not part of us. There's no intrinsic relation. And that's why the relationship can dissolve. You chose it, and the wife or the husband can choose to unchoose it. Did I just make up a word? Probably, right? You can choose to, uh, to leave the relationship, and, and the relationship is finished. But not some are safe at Christmas. Once in a safe at Christmas, obviously there's still a connection because you were once married, and especially just children, but nonetheless, legally and spiritually, you're not connected. People move on their own ways. That's one difference. There's another difference. The relationship of siblings is usually placid. It's calm. It's tranquil. It's not explosive. The relationship between spouses is much more passionate. There's electricity. There's romance. It can sometimes be nuclear energy between a couple. I should say positive and sometimes not so positive. It's not a calm, neutral relationship. Sabrenta fire is a fire there. The Gemara says this is a to Ish Visha Zahush Afidzayim. Ish Visha Zahush Shina Shriya Beinayim. Yud and Hay come together, and if you take out the Yud and the Hay, what are you left with? You're left with Aish. You're left with fire. And as Ravi puts it there, and her fire is a lot worse than this fire. Because by him, the Yud is between the Aleph and the Shin, and by her, the Hay is after the Aleph and the Shin. In other words, you're dealing with a passionate relationship by definition. And the two differences are connected to each other. With a sibling, I take the relationship for granted. There's no drama involved. It's not a novel idea. It's part of me. My brother and sister, they're part of me. We're essentially part of one X and one essence. And therefore, the relationship is much more quiet. It's tranquil. It's just like, it's, it's family. It's mishpacha. <coughs> mishpacha, you know, family, you just go back to family. It's almost like cruise control very often. 
Your brother, your sister, your brother, your sister, Shalmzacha, Bir Sapshan, you go and you go next. Try to make a bar of Shabbatrani, you leave as fast as possible, but sometimes it's just in cruise control. With a spouse, you can love your spouse, you can hate your spouse, you can't ignore your spouse. Some men try to, but it doesn't work. You can't ignore it. There's a fire, there's a passion. Why? Because it's new, it's creative, it's a dover chadash. It's always dramatic. You never fully understand your spouse. People that be married 20, 30, 40 years, wives can understand husbands a little bit. Husbands, when it comes to wives, are usually clueless. You never really get it. You never really comprehend it. It's always, there's always something mysterious. There's always a secret. And that's how it's supposed to be, nothing more. So it's two models of a relationship. Come now to the story and you'll see a story. There's a hunger. So where do they go? They go to Mitzrayim. Every story in Chumash is a reflection of a spiritual thought. Sometimes a marriage is flourishing, it's blossoming. It's full, of, it's full of plenty and prosperity. There is affection, there is splendor, there is connection, there's trust, there's loyalty, there's fun, there's creativity, there's happiness. There's a dynamic energy in a home. And then sometimes there's a raw, there's a hunger. And a husband and a wife are starving. They're starving for an energy and it's not there. And they turn to each other and they say, you know, 17 years ago things were so beautiful or five years ago, or 20 years ago. When's the inspiration? When's the passion? Where did it all go? Where did it all disappear to? What happened? And they end up in Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim, the Medrash says, is Meloshim Meitzar. Mitzrayim comes from the word Meitzar. You know what Meitzar means? Restrictions. Narrow straits. You know when you're in your house, but you're like this. People are wearing bullet vests bullet vest in their own house. There are walls everywhere. There's no openness. There's no flow of energy. People are hiding their text messages from each other, sometimes to that extreme. There's a lack of trust, and there's generally this contention, there's arguments, there's almost no beauty. You come in, you know, sometimes you come into a house and you feel energy, if you feel energy, probably the women know what I'm talking about. You come into a house and you feel a pleasant energy. Then you come into a house and you're like, this is not the place where you want to hang out. And you feel bad for the people who are there for many years. You know, sometimes you wake up in the morning and you say, you look at the person in, in the room and you say, wow, I can't thank you, Hashem, enough. And sometimes you wake up in the morning and you look at the person in the room and you're like, there are seven billion people in the world. Why did I have to end up with this shlobil, shlomazl, all the other nice adjectives you have in your mind? If somebody once asked a couple, how is Shalom Bayis? So he said, when we got engaged, she thought I was brilliant. So she let me doing all the talking and I did all the listening. And then we got married, she decided I was an idiot. So it changed. She started to do all the talking and I started to do all the listening. The guy says, and now? He says, now 10 years later, we both do all the talking and the neighbors do all of the listening. Okay, so you have a situation there. There's the old story about a... a a woman who got up at her 50th wedding anniversary and she said that I want to make a toast to myself for sticking it out with him for 50 years. And I want to tell you, though, that the 50 years of our marriage felt like two days. People were impressed. A Jewish wife, after 50 years, not only is she on speaking terms with her husband, but apparently the marriage was so romantic 
but it just felt like two days, you know. The Pasuk says, So there was one Ludnik in the crowd, and he says, Why do you say it felt like two days? Why don't you say it felt like one day? I thought he was a Ludnik. So she says, Because our marriage for 50 years felt like two days. Tish above and That's what it felt like. So by eat off barracks, you have a hunger, and you end up in Mitzrayim, and there's a lot of boundaries and restrictions, and nobody's open. And that's the moment when a relationship is bent on destruction, especially if there is suspicion, especially if there's grievance, especially the lack of communication. And here we come to a moida dictator from the Baal Avram looks at Sodom and he says, I just know, I found out. I'm aware that you're beautiful. Asks Rashi, really? You've been married to this. You've been married to this lady for many years. I know now. So Rashi gives three different interpretations struggling with the question. How do you say this? He ain't know your doctor. You know what the Moshantuf says? Hoshantif says that when Avram came close to Mitzrayim, the energy of the place affected him, and his relationship was compromised. Now, this is a very subtle idea. I'm going to say it very briefly. You have to have a little background on the teachings of the Hoshantif, but I want you just to get the point. The Hoshantif said as follows. Avram always knew that Sarah was beautiful. But for Avram, physical beauty was aligned with spiritual beauty. He saw her beauty as a reflection of divine beauty. L'cha Hashem all beauty in the world is really a reflection of divine beauty. The Midas Hatiferis, the attribute of beauty, is one that is very, very profound. And it touches the deepest chords in the human soul, and it's really a reflection of divine beauty. When he looked at Sarah, says about Shabbat, what did he see? He saw an embodiment of the divine. Because all relationships are really divine. That is what a real relationship is. Her beauty was a reflection of Hashem's beauty. Now he comes to Egypt. And before he enters Mitzrayim, what does he say? He may know yadati ki ishi yifas ma'ra'at. So the Moir and Ayin, Moir and Ayin was written by Rav Nachum Chernobyleh. It's studied a lot by Skverich Hasidim, because they come from Chernobyl, the Torskis, and studied by all people who study Moir and Ayin, which is one of the classic Hasidic works. You remember this Moir and Ayin? So the Moir and Ayin brings what he heard from the Baal Shem Tev. You could look it up. Bazehalash. The Baal says when he came to Egypt, he realized, he tells his wife, I'm in trouble. You know why? Because I see you as a physical object. I don't see you anymore as a divine piece of beauty. Before, I saw your beauty as an extension of Hashem's beauty. In other words, I'm going to saw Sarah's beauty in its full depth. And therefore, the connection could be fully deep. But now her physicality was divorced in his mind from her soul. And he knew that the relationship is in trouble. In our world, how I would translate this is, there's a moment when the relationship is not as powerful as it could be. Whatever that means in your life. What do you do? So Avram told Sarah a message. And this is probably maybe one of the most important messages for couples for eternity. And that's why it's the first story about the first Jewish couple. It's maybe the, one of the key stories. Avram turns it to Sarah. And in the spiritual story, he tells her, At this moment, you have to become my sister. 
and I'm going to become your brother. I know we cannot be husband and wife anymore, but we could still be siblings. What's unique about siblings is you're there for your sibling even if you're not passionate and romantic about it. If my sister, if my sister calls me up 3 o'clock in the morning and she says, why, why? I'm stuck on the FDR and I can't find anybody to help me. And my husband is on the, whatever, my husband is wherever he is. Please come. And it's 3 in the morning, I'm exhausted. And I have a sheet at 5.30. <laughs> so I'm really exhausted at 3.30. And uh, what do I do? I don't think to myself, oh, I'm crazy about my sister. And I want my sister to give me attention. And I want to spend time with my sister. And I'm just head and shoulders over my sister. I don't think that. My sister is beautiful, but it's not what goes through my mind. What I do think is, what I do think is, it's my sister. She needs help. You get out of bed and you go help her. But you're not emotional. You're not passionate. You're not in a state of love. Okay. But there's loyalty. She's your sister. She's your brother. You're there for your sister and your brother. You feel it? Great. You don't feel it? Tough luck. You're there. And it's a relationship that never ceases. You don't choose it. It's part of who you are. You're there for a brother and a sister. You're, like, you're there for yourself. You're there for your child. There may be issues. There may be complex issues, but you're there for them. So the Zohar says, and by Yikur of Shimon said, that a husband and a wife are two halves of one soul. In other words, we're not only spouses, we're also brothers and sisters. We're connected by definition of soul. So Avram Avinu Kalsara, when you're in Egypt and you're starving, at this moment, you become my sister, I become your brother. Or in the words of the Balshamtiv, Achois is from the word Ichwi. You know what Ichwi means? You have in the Mar Shabbos. Ichwi Alexandris, the Alexandrian knot. Achois is from the word knot. Because you're knotted by birth. It's not like a marriage where you become knotted by choice. Here you're knotted by birth. The Rebbeinu Shalom knotted you together. You share DNA. Emar lechachma, Shlomo Melech says, Emar lechachma, chaisiat. Sometimes you have to turn to chachma and say, you're my sister. says this. Avram says, we have to connect to chachma. We have to connect to our core soul, which is chachma, where we're one. We may not be experiencing the full passion of the relationship, but we have to know that the relationship is as powerful as ever, even though it's going through a downer. It's only through a low. Don't give up on it. That's what a sibling relationship is like. It's consistent, even if it's placid and tranquil, and it's not explosive and romantic and passionate. And when you work that through, I won't do any stupid things in the process. I will remain alive. And not only that, I will be rewarded tremendously. Because when you work through that experience, and then you uh, come back to a place of sobriety and sanity and depth, you'll never regret the fact that you were there for each other in difficult, challenging moments of a relationship. We're not talking here of a relationship that has to dissolve because of terrible abuse or a dangerous situation. We're not talking about that. Just say he's my brother. No, don't say my brother. Say he's a, a shugunah. Get out of the house. You don't always say he's my brother. Sometimes you have to say it's time to go. Because the one people should take that as a hatcher for uh, tolerating abuse or, uh, or immoral behavior. We're talking about every relationship has struggle. 
The only relationships I personally know that are perfect are the relationships that I don't know. <laughs> and maybe one or two others that I have uh, encountered in uh, present company, of course, excluded. So that's, that's, the, that's, that's the story, but it goes one step deeper, and here we come to our last point. God should help, it should be the last point. Please say a prayer. <laughs> Remember the Pasuk? Well, the glorious Pesukim of Shirashirim. He's sleeping in bed. I'm sorry, she's, a, she's, a, she's retired. She hears the sound of Doidi, the one who loves her, Doifik. He's pounding on the door. What does he say? Pischili, achoisi, rayosi, yoinosi, samosi. Open up the door for me. Please, my sister, my wife, my dove, my twin. Four expressions does the chasm tell the kala, the groom, the bride, the male to the female. You're my sister, you're my wife, you're my dove, you're my twin. Says the Balatanya. What does this mean? A Jew in Shehashirim is the kala. Hashem is the chasm. So Hashem turns to the Jew and he says, Peace me, open up the door. You're my sister, you're my wife. What's the answer? What does she tell him? I can't open the door. I took off my shirt. How can I put it on? I washed my feet. I can't come to the door and make myself dirty. No way. And he's waiting. And what happens is, he places his hand into the peephole in order to open up. And my intestines, my internal self stirs for Ava. But by the time she opens the door, it's too late. He left. That's the drama of Shehashim. Well, what, what's going on here? So one of the interpretations of the Balatanya is this. Hashem turns to the Jew and he says, you're my sister, but you're my wife. Are you my sister? You're my wife. So he says, in the relationship between a Jew and the Rebbeinah Shalom, there are two states. There's a time when Hashem says, you're my wife. And there's a time when Hashem says, you're my sister. There's a time that a Jew feels himself or herself as Hashem's spouse. You wake up in the morning and your heart is on fire. You say, with passion. You get out of bed, you daven, you meditate, you study, you learn, you grow, you do mitzvahs and maizim With a chius, there's a lot, there's a glow, there's a passion, there's a romance, there's an affection, there's an avid, there's a chafetzah. There's a sense of awareness, of depth, of excitement, of inspiration. But then sometimes you wake up in the morning and you're numb, you're lifeless, you're dead, you're apathetic, you're uninterested. I know you related to the first description. You relate to this one also? Anybody? Yeah, they once asked the Jew, what's the difference between ignorance and apathy? And he said, I don't know and I don't care. Sometimes you wake up in the morning, I don't know, I don't care, I don't want to know, I don't want to care. Just like in a marriage. I'm just not interested. I'm not interested. You know, sometimes people come to see, they don't have interest. I'm just not interested. There's nothing interesting. It's not stimulating. I need adventure. We love adventure. We love spiritual adventures or physical adventures. What do you do at that moment? Many of us, in America, what you do is you call your lawyer. But Avram Avinu says, no, no, no. Imri na Now you have to discover that you're also Hashem's sister. 
A system means there's no such a thing that you're disconnected. You may say you're disconnected. You're not disconnected. You're divine. You're as holy as ever. Just because you don't feel holy doesn't mean you're not holy. And this is a different paradigm. For some people, they believe what makes a Jew holy is that he feels holy. She feels holy. You experience Kedusha. That's not the case. What makes you holy, what makes you wholesome, what makes you sacred, what makes you beautiful is your essence. Even if you choose to destroy it, you can't destroy your beauty. You can't destroy your holiness. I can't tell my sister you're not my sister. Even if I choose not to talk to her, Khalilah, for 20 years. She's still my sister, she's still my brother. Somebody once told me, a woman once told me, I'm never talking to my sister again. I said, why? Of course, it's always a Yerusha. Father died, he left maybe, I don't know, uh, probably a few fahakta dollars. So they had a major fight, the money, the money, the money. I said, you ever going to see your sister again? She said, at her funeral. It was very sad to hear, but it was also telling. At the funeral, she's going to come. She's going to sit shiva, because it's her sister. There's a relationship. Maybe it's a negative relationship, but there's a relationship. So there's two ways of looking at marriage. I become one with you because I love you. That's the secular version. The Jewish version is, I love you because I'm one with you. Think about it. And that oneness doesn't dissipate. So there's the concept of your child or the Jew is holy because he does holy things. No. No. The Balshantav taught us to go a step deeper. A Jew does holy things because he is holy. And when he doesn't do holy things, he's still holy. And the relationship is intact. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, Afapin Shechata, Yisrael. And in the Kutatari, the Balatanya says, Yisrael means there's a place where he never actually sinned. In other words, in the Maimah Shehamalas, in other words, there's a relationship that can't be severed. So Avram and Sarah, who are the paradigm of the Chassan and the Talak of the Shvodach and Klesis Yisrael, the first story about them is, you're going to end up in Egypt, you're going to end up in Mitzrayim, and there's going to be a moment of tremendous hunger and famine for inspiration. And at that moment, don't run away. At this moment, you're going to say that you're my sister, and I'm going to say you're my brother. And therefore, even though we'll end up in different spaces, the relationship will not only remain intact, but it will grow tremendously. Now, come back to the Medrash Why? Because you're always connected, no matter your moods or your feelings, no matter even your behavior. What does the rush say? Why not feed him on the veil of the halav? So the Ram said, because Thomas and Echos. What does the rush say? Even though he's deathly ill and he needs it, you're going to give him an veil, what is he going to say? I'm a Jew, I'm not eating this. That's why you don't give it to me. You're going to kill him. Sometimes you look at a Jew, they may be on a spiritual deathbed. They're not interested. They're completely spiritually sick. There's no atomat vacuum. So you may give up on that. 
says, no, no, no. Imri no achoisiyot. Mikan sheshoichatim lechoyim b'shabbos. Because the relationship inherently is intact for eternity. Have a wonderful week. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.